It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 177, Kings Zechariah to Pekah. Upon the death of Jeroboam II, northern Israel starts its approximate 30 years decline and fall. Generally speaking, the monarchy has incredible instability with civil wars and a good number of assassinations, and this doesn't mention the grave external threat the Assyrians are going to pose. Shy of even a generation of Jonah's revival, the violent Assyrian empire gets rebirthed with the vengeance, and their sights are on Israel and as far away as Egypt. And Israel is going to be a political nightmare leading to total downfall. The fuse to the ticking time bomb of destruction is now lit. Here's how the next approximate 30 years starts. Jeroboam II's son becomes king upon his father's death, and within six months he is assassinated. The man who kills him is assassinated within a month himself. This power vacuum causes all the conquest of Jeroboam II to end, and the four-generation promise of power to the Jehus comes to an end. 2 Kings 15.8 In the 38th year of Azariah king of Judah, Zechariah, son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned six months. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his predecessors had done. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. Shalom, son of Jabesh, conspired against Zechariah. He attacked him in front of the people, assassinated him, and succeeded him as king. The other events of Zechariah's reign are written in the book of the Annals of the Kings of Israel. So the word of the Lord spoken to Jehu was fulfilled. Your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. It's amazing how God keeps his word despite the wickedness of the Jehu family line. But once the promise of the fourth generation of Jehu's kingship comes, the fourth in line of Jehu is dead in six months. He was basically dead on arrival, and upon his birth, as or upon his kingship, a civil war of sorts breaks out in northern Israel, and it's assassination after assassination. Upon the assassination of Zechariah by Shalom, Shalom succeeds in becoming king. His fault was that he didn't have support of the army, and a general turns his army on Samaria to become the next king. The result was Shalom was a king a whole month. Zechariah was king for about six months, and Shalom one month. 2 Kings 15.13 Shalom, son of Jabesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzzah, king of Judah, and he reigned in Samaria one month. Then Menahem, son of Gadi, went from Terza up to Samaria. He attacked Shalom, son of Jabesh, in Samaria, assassinated him, and succeeded him as king. The other events of Shalom's reign and the conspiracy he led are written in the annals of the books of the kings of Israel. At that time, 
Menahem, starting out from Terza, attacked Tipsa and everyone in the city and its vicinity because they refused to open their gates. He sacked Tipsa and ripped open all the pregnant women. So Menahem became king, and he's going to be king for about 10 years and bring about some stability, but a civil war. And three kings in seven months is a lot of instability to overcome. The consequence of internal conflict takes its toll on Israel's territorial expansion from the previous generation. All of the turmoil caused Israel to lose a grip on its provinces and conquered territory. Many of the armies were withdrawn by usurpers in an attempt to keep their power. This movement of armies out of the provinces caused them to lose their power over Philistia, Moab, and Aram. Think with me what's going on here. Let's say Israel had about 10,000-man garrison in Damascus, not much to control the city, but they spread them out to tax the citizens and keep their power. When Shalom needs these soldiers to fight in his rebellion, he withdraws them, and worse for him, he loses in his bid for power. Menahem becomes king and immediately sends the soldiers back to Damascus and finds the gates shut, and the entire city was now off-limits to Israel, and his 10,000 soldiers were not powerful enough to take the city again, so he withdraws. This happened in many other places, and as Menahem becomes king, the general tries to piece things together, but in the end, the expansion of Jeroboam II was over, and the new threat was whispered to the north and over the horizon. A new king was in charge in Nineveh, and the Assyrians were back and on the move, and the entire region would soon be filled with terror. Menahem probably found some solace in the fact that they were still a rich country from the years of dominance, and they had good relations with Judah, and they were still well-respected internationally. Menahem tried to keep order and use his formidable army wisely, but he was no match for the Assyrians. And when they came knocking with armies over a hundred thousand men strong, realizing he was no match for the Assyrians, he in fact used them to solidify his power and take power from his nobles by submitting to the Assyrians and using their force to enrich himself to disadvantage of his nobles. By forcing the rich nobles in his kingdom to pay the Assyrians ransom or tribute money, however you want to look at it, it's a ruthless time in northern Israel. 2 Kings 15:17. In the 39th year of Azariah king of Judah, Menahem son of Gadi became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria 10 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. During his entire reign, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. Then Pul, king of Assyria, invaded the land. And Menahem gave him a thousand talents of silver to gain his support and strengthened his own hand on the kingdom. Menahem exacted this money from Israel. Every wealthy person had to contribute 50 shekels of silver to be given to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria withdrew and stayed in the land no longer. As for the other events of Menahem's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Menahem rested with his ancestors, and Pekahena, his son, succeeded him as king. So this King Pul of Assyria is most likely 
Tiglath-Pileser III. Asher-Dan III, the king during the time of Jonah, lived another two years after the revival in Nineveh. Upon his death, Asher-Narari V becomes king and rules for about ten years. According to some sources, a civil war breaks out, and the winner of the civil war is the next king, and this one king goes by Tiglath-Pileser III. Tiglath kills off the royal family, just like the devil, to eradicate anyone associated with Jonah's revival. And, you know, in his eyes, he did it to solidify his reign. Tiglath-Pileser is another type of king, resorting back to the violent ways, the violent previous ways of Assyria. He gets credit for reassembling the Assyrian Empire and retaking cities and lost territories. And this is the guy most likely referenced as Pull of Assyria, who invades northern Israel. We can believe the great wealth he pulls out of Israel helps him to achieve his goals even greater. He makes sweeping reforms to the Assyrian army, piecing it back together, even the empire he puts back together, reforming the government, improving the efficiency of the army, and according to other sources, he creates the first standing professional army. He's a violent military man, and he achieves most of his goals of reasserting Assyrian dominance in the region. His terror projection was great, as he used forced deportations as a form of punishment of subjugated nations. Well, we have much more to cover on Tiglath at another time. So how much is this thousand talents of silver worth that um, Tiglath through Menahem received from the nobles in northern Israel? So how much is a thousand talents of silver worth? A talent of silver is worth over $10,000 in today's currency. You know, there's lots of sources out there, and they range way higher. Um, they, they range up to 20000 even much higher. Um, so let's kind of stick with 20000 So if one talent of silver is $20,000 today, um, he extracted $20 million from northern Israel. Taking $20,000 of talent as a value... Menahem extracted about a million dollars from 20 nobles in northern Israel. Tiglath-Pileser pulled a million dollars in value from each rich person. It's like Menahem became the tax collector for Tiglath-Pileser III, kind of like the future Roman way of tax collection. Reminds me of one of those stories about declining monarchical economies, and the solution for Menahem was to steal from the rich and give to their Assyrian overlords so that he could in turn keep his power and enrich those who protected him. Menahem's bread was the leftovers of the good times under Jeroboam II. So this is just the beginning as Israel is getting sapped dry of its strength. They have denied God. They have been invaded. Their prosperity is gone and their wealth was disappeared over the northern horizon. So Pekinah, the son of Menahem, becomes king next. Menahem was probably an aged general, and he ruled from his 40s into his 50s, and he dies, and his son takes over. 2 Kings 15.23 In the 50th year of Azariah king of Judah, Pekinah, son of Menahem, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned two years. 
Pekinah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. And one of the chief officers, Pekah, son of Ramalia, conspired against him. Taking 50 men of Gilead with him, he assassinated Pekinah along with Argob and Aria in the citadel of the royal palace at Samaria. So Pekah killed Pekinah and succeeded him as king. The other events of Pekinah's reign and all he did are written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. Pretty unimpressive king, this Pekinah. And of course, he was assassinated. Next, we arrive at Pekah. And we will cover him a bit more later um, and leave him as king of Israel since he reigns 20 years. Um, he wants to recover the prestige of his nation. Northern Israel is small in nature now and is about the size of a re renewed state of Aram, which is now recovering from its years under Israel's dominance. Pekah wanted to do something special, and knowing his poor state of his nation, he allies himself with Aram and decides to invade Judah to take its wealth and make a name for himself. This is all with a close eye on the huge gathering storm of the Assyrians, who seem to make attacks in Israel's territory every two to five years when there is an aggressive king in charge at Nineveh. According to the account of Ahaz, the king of Judah, Pekah and the king of Aram invade Judah with a huge combined army. The effect is a stunning success militarily, forcing Ahaz to withdraw into Jerusalem, praying to his gods for his survival. Pekah probably thinks he's about to recover his nation and that something great again, but this is a bad idea. You never attack Jerusalem. Okay, so we leave this here because we got way ahead of ourselves, but with all the no-name kings, I wanted to jump ahead on these guys in northern Israel. In a few episodes, we'll cover this invasion of Judah by Pekah and his ally in Aram. In the meantime, we will cover Isaiah's encounter, maybe Micah's encounter, and the kings of Judah up to Ahaz and the invasion of Judah. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, what is chaos but the consequence of the lack of peace in government? I remember someone once saying the cause of organized crime is corruption in government. In that day forward, I realized some of the most complex issues have simple cause and effect answers. Here we covered five kings, three killings of these kings, and by the way, spoiler alert, Pekka will die by assassination. And that makes four of these kings will be killed by assassination. That's internal chaos, and that's freaky stuff. Not a good time to live, farm, run a business, or raise a family in northern Israel. Further, Israel lost its territories, their wealth, and their country was subject to foreign powers, and its kings were desperate. How the mighty have fallen. Pride comes before a fall. Israel is on its way out as a nation. One last gamble will be its attack on Jerusalem, and no one who attacks Jerusalem comes off unscathed. The end is near, and Tiglath-Pileser is now king in Nineveh, and he's reorganizing Assyria's military. The writing is on the wall. The prophets wrote it. They wrote about it. The heritage of Israel speaks to it. Why won't they repent? 
one asks. The root of internal division and governmental chaos is a loss of peace with a lack of accountability. Republics and democracies allow for division of powers and accountability. Every four to eight years, a peaceful revolution occurs in the United States. In a true monarchy, all the power is in one man's hands. If he or she is a good king, the country excels. If he or she is a loser, everyone suffers. If he or she is a brave intellectual and accountable to God, the nation excels in its giftings. If he or she is intellectual but not accountable to God, he or she is brilliant but led astray by the devil at the same time to lead his country astray with strange yet justified with intellectual thinking ideas. These kings, if they do not submit to God, have no accountability. God gave Israel a taste with Jeroboam II's expansion and wealth, but he warned them what was to come. But they prostituted themselves to foreign gods and surrendered their prosperity and faith to demons. These kings were not accountable to God. All kings must be accountable to God. It will happen in the afterlife. Why not start on earth and live a submitted life? Any king not submitted to God speaks loud and clear. They have no accountability and they can do whatever they want. This type of thinking reveals a pride that invites a fall. The lack of worship of God by the kings of northern Israel shows such a remarkable pride in the face of God's word that they invite his judgment. All kings should have accountability. Accountability to others has many forms. A church, a family, a boss, an employer, a faith in God. This accountability invites wisdom and a sharpening of one's skills and labors. Accountability is a humility that invites God to move on our behalf. If you lack accountability, start in just practical ways. In the accounting world, there's a thing called internal controls. Create internal controls. It's a practical approach to accountability. If you have problems with the opposite sex, never be alone with someone. On the flip side, if you struggle when you're alone, get an accountability partner or roommate you can trust. If you can't trust yourself with a computer or a cell phone, put in parental type controls or get rid of the temptation until you can handle it. What about spending? If you have a gambling problem or spend too much money, hide it from yourself or make a budget and don't allow yourself to go off of it. Put your savings in an account. If you have greed issues, I heard of a story of a pastor who told his board to cap his salary. No one could ever question him again on the amount of money he made. Billy Graham refused to be alone with anyone of the opposite sex except his family or his wife, and he made himself beyond reproach of any accusations. To him, it wasn't worth it. There are ways to starve out temptation. There are ways to persevere in the long run. Build the character of no in your heart to sin and submit your faith, your worship, and your heart to God. So regarding these kings, now the kings, they are bloodthirsty, winner-take-all type of kings. May the strongest be king. It's ridiculous and wasteful of resources for this to happen, and generations suffer from hideous evil running the land. What's the cause and effect? It's simple. Evil has ruled, and God still had favor on the people and the land because of his word, that a ruler from the line of Jehu would keep his place for four generations. Once this was up, there was no anointing of a king, 
The anointing was over. The overriding peace on the land, the prince of peace lifted from the land, and the enemy came in to steal, kill, and destroy. Cause. Unchecked idolatry in northern Israel with a lack of intercession and repentance. The effect. Peace has lifted off of the nation of Israel, allowing chaos to reign in northern Israel. The devil has will come to kill, still, and destroy. The first of these has occurred. The wealth of Israel has been stolen by its king and given to the king of Assyria. Short of true repentance, northern Israel as a nation faces destruction and even death. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page if you want to chat. Email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.